The following podcast uses words that lawyers don't use in court, even though they're thinking them. Hello and welcome to episode 302 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. My name is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. Today on the show, we tackled a logical reasoning question, and then we jumped into this thing about bonuses. So if you really want to be an attorney, just be prepared that if you go into big law, you might be working lots of hours. Some are working 100-hour weeks. Yes, that's 100 hours in one week. So good luck with that. And then we just tackled the mailbag, which ranged yeah, everything some from international issues yeah nigeria yeah. to um who knows i can't remember now <laughs> yeah well nigeria issues uh not being able to take the lsat um as many times as americans can take mm-hmm. it we had an email from canada about uh the differences in tuitions and how it may be actually more sensible to pay for law school in canada some questions about the uh demon 2.0 and I guess that's it. All right. Let's uh, jump into this logical reasoning question. Test 73, section 2, question 8. Um, I think last time I read it, you responded. Do you want to do that again? Yeah. I think that's a good way to do it. Sure. Kind of, kind of force us to take turns. Uh, I'll stop after each sentence and give you a chance to respond. Okay. Um, All right, so a biologist says marine animals known as box jellyfish have eyes with well-formed lenses capable of producing sharp images that reveal fine detail. Okay, sounds like a fact. Um, I'm glad that they're able, or at least they have the lenses that let them see fine detail. Mm, Say more about that. What do you mean? You seem to be suggesting that well, they don't have well, supervision. It's, it's weird. They're saying here that they have well-formed lenses capable of producing sharp images that reveal fine detail. Uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it, it kind of suggests that maybe they don't in the end of the day. Like they don't leverage yeah. it or they don't turn it on or something. I don't know. Yeah. Right. But the box jellyfish's retinas are too far forward to receive a clear image so these jellyfish can receive only a blurry image that reveals prominent features of objects but not the fine detail. Oh, okay. So you got your lenses, which are capable of fine detail, but they have these retinas, which essentially aren't because they're not in the right place, and they're only seeing like kind of blurry... Uh, objects it sounds like okay facts 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 i don't know what to make of that so far it's like a it's sort of like a f- unfortunate set of circumstances for this jellyfish sure it's like a waste yeah the jellyfish has these lenses which would be capable of doing great things but then it's the rest of its vision system doesn't work <laughs> well enough it's like a uh, amateur golfer who's rolling out there with like $3,000 worth of fancy titanium golf clubs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh, you've got the golf, the golf clubs that like Rory McIlroy could uh, do some work with those. <laughs> Unfortunately, you have the swing of a, you know, 50 handicapper. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So unused potential. This example. Here. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, unused potential. No, that's all right. Okay. This example shows that eyes are adapted only to an animal's needs rather than to some abstract sense of how a good eye would be designed. Whoa. <laughs> it's a subtle reference to intelligent design, it seems. Right. But, um, okay, that's clearly a conclusion. This example shows that. Oh, what does it show? It shows that eyes are adapted only to an animal's needs. Well, part of the problem right now is that I don't even know what the jellyfish's needs are. Does the jellyfish need to see prominent features of objects but not find detail? Like, maybe. I uh, Let's grant that for a half second. Rather than to some abstract sense of how good an eye would be designed. Um, so, first problem here is I don't know what the animal's needs are. If just seeing the prominent features of the objects is all that the jellyfish needs, then this argument is starting to make a little more sense, but I still have a problem, and that is the lenses are capable of producing fine detail. So why, like that almost seems to run counter to the the conclusion. It's like, why did they develop that ability if they apparently don't need it? Because they can't even leverage it, right? So yeah. I'm I'm not happy with this argument. No, it's bizarre. Um, I agree with you that the conclusion doesn't seem if the facts, they kind of support the conclusion, but then they kind of support like the opposite of that. It's, yeah. it's a mystery. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, they don't, those eyes don't seem to be adapted to anything really. Cause they're like over-engineered in one aspect mm -hmm. and then not, they don't work well enough in another aspect to make the whole system not work. It's like, well, that doesn't seem adapted to anything. That just seems like they have accidentally too good of lenses mm -hmm. to go along with their shitty retinas. Why, Ben, are you attacking that last sentence but not the previous two? The previous two are pieces of evidence that the author is presenting as fact, and so I just have to accept them as fact. The last sentence, however, is a conclusion that the author is drawing from those two pieces of evidence, and that's where we can jump up and down and really hold the LSAT to account. It's like, hey, um, I'll grant you your premises, I'll grant you your evidence, but using logic, using reasoning, can we draw this conclusion from those premises, yes or no? That's always the question. And how do you know that that last sentence is the conclusion? Uh, the big key to me was the fact that it said this example shows that it's like, okay, you're taking the example you just gave me and then you're concluding, you're saying that it shows something. And my question then becomes is, does it really? <laughs> yeah. That word shows, I, I always have to like point that out in my classes. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you, if you do this as well, but on the LSAT, I think shows means proves. Yeah. And so we we get to hold them to a real high standard here of, hey, wait a minute. You think that this example about the box jellyfish proves something? Mm -hmm. 
you think it proves what? You think it proves that eyes are adapted only to an animal's needs rather than to some abstract sense of how a good eye would be designed. I guess the other thing that I would point out there, and you, you're already attacking on, on these angles, but mm -hmm. you know they're bringing up so much new shit in their conclusion there. Yeah. And if, if there's a Ten Commandments of the LSAT, one of them is thou shalt not bring up new shit in your conclusion. You just don't get to do that. Nope. You can take your evidence and combine it together to conclude something that was not said. In fact, that's what happens almost always in valid arguments. But <laughs> the ideas and concepts that are mentioned in the conclusion cannot be new because otherwise there's no evidence to support them. And here, I mean, the thing I jumped on the most at first was the animal's needs. I don't know what the animal's needs are. So how can I draw a conclusion totally. about them? You also have no where did abstract <laughs> sense of how a good eye would be designed come from, right? I mean, yeah. it seems like we could argue and say, no, maybe blurry feature, blurry images are... <laughs> That's My, the ideal. Uh, ideal abstraction of how a good eye would be designed. I, you know what's funny is that people probably are listening to this and they're listening to you say that and they're rolling their eyes and they're like, that is not. <laughs> we don't know what an abstract sense of a good eye would be, but I know it's not that. Actually, you don't know that because in life, <laughs> there's always different levels of detail, right? How detailed are you going to go? And sometimes too much detail is not helpful. It's like you get overwhelmed with information and then you can't make an effective decision. And that might be true for jellyfish. Maybe this is actually yeah. the best level of detail for them because it helps them do what they need to do. Totally. All right. Uh, so the question stem says, I got to stop saying stem. Fuck. I need like a swear jar. Every time I say that, I'm going to put money in it. Um, a quarter the question says, yeah, the argument requires assuming which one of the following. Okay. This is a necessary assumption question. It's asking me what is something that the author of this argument, the biologist absolutely has to assume, absolutely has to accept as true. If the author does not do that, their conclusion will fall apart. Okay. Okay. Um, a, oh, oh yeah, ahead. really quick. So uh, in necessary assumption questions, there are so many things that can be necessarily assumed that I go into the answers with somewhat of an open mind. That said, the work I've already done, uh, what are the animal's needs? This argument is assuming that seeing objects as, or seeing things as objects, uh, rather than fine detail is a need of the animal. Is something I would predict, but I would also be open to other things that maybe I hadn't thought of. It's like, yeah, that does need to be true. So I'm really just asking myself, does this answer choice have to be true as I read these? Can I give you a hypothetical answer and see what you think? Sure, of it? go for it. So this answer did, it, it mentioned in passing this idea of intelligent design, basically, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. it is saying, mm -hmm. hey, look at the box jellyfish. It's got a really good lens and a really bad retina, so it only gets a blurry image. Therefore, it must be adapted to the animal's needs rather than to 
some abstract sense of how a good eye would be designed, I don't see how you don't think about like creationist thinking there when sure. you see that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, designed by who? What else could they <laughs> possibly be referring to, right? Yeah. So what if there was an answer that said, you know, the flying spaghetti monster designed the box jellyfish's eyes uh, because it thinks that receiving a blurry image that reveals prominent features of objects but not fine detail is the perfect way to design an eye. <laughs> well, sorry, it has to have a knot in there, right? Yeah, it has yeah. to say the flying spaghetti monster did not do all that stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, we have to assume that it did not do that because if it had if it had thought hey this is uh its abstract sense of how a good eye would be designed then we can't actually conclude that it was adapted only to its needs but was actually adapted to this spaghetti monsters or whatever you said (laughs) conception of what a good eye would be yeah, and, and it's bizarre, but you would you would have to pick that, right? But yeah. that answer, you would go, well, shit. If the flying spaghetti monster did, in fact, design the box jellyfish's retinas or and lenses according to its own sense of how a good eye would be designed, then this argument falls apart. Yeah, because it wouldn't be adapted only to its needs. It would be... <laughs> It would have specifically been, been designed by, designed by a, according to an abstract sense of how a good eye would be designed. So even though the author never contemplated the flying spaghetti monster mm-hmm. or, you know, pick your favorite creator. But even though the author did not specifically mention that, the mm-hmm. author would have to agree that all possible creators who could have thought that this was a good way to design an eye mm-hmm. did not, in fact, design the box jellyfish's eye exactly and that's not an answer that i would predict but if you read it you're like oh yeah well it better not be the case that this happened so right that is you shrug your shoulders and you go shit well yeah i mean the author would have to agree with that because if that was false then the entire argument would fall apart so yeah that's a necessary assumption yeah Okay. A says box jellyfish are the only kind of jellyfish with retinas that do not focus clearly. This author used box jellyfish to prove uh, her point, but it doesn't mean that other jellyfish couldn't also prove her point. (laughs) So I don't need to assume that box jellyfish are the only kind of jellyfish with retinas that do not focus clearly. Maybe others don't focus clearly as well, and they further prove this point that the author's trying to make. Yeah, that wouldn't hurt her at all. In yeah. fact, it would help her probably. All right, B, box jellyfish have a need to detect prominent features of objects, but not fine details. Okay, this is one of the questions I had. What are the animal's needs? And this argument does need to assume that what was ultimately the structure of the eye, what the eye was ultimately adapted to was its needs, And answer choice B is saying its needs were to detect prominent features of objects, but not find details, which is exactly what happened. So I'm feeling pretty good about this one. You think the author must agree with B? Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I'm, I'm like, yeah, sounds good. But there's a little part of me that's like, okay, let me make sure these others are wrong in case I'm moving too quickly and miss something. But yeah, right now this seems like kind of what I predicted actually. Okay. 
C, box jellyfish would benefit from having retinas that allowed their eyes to focus more sharply. Um, they certainly might benefit, but one thing about this argument is it's not about benefit. It's about need. So I, I'm already kind of like, who cares? Um, but even if they would benefit, and let's assume for a second that benefit is somehow equated with need, although I don't think it is, this would actually hurt the argument. It would suggest that they haven't right. adapted to their needs. So there, yeah, there's lots anything, of problems here. <laughs> it kind of seems like the author would disagree with C. Because yeah. the author was like, no, their eyes are adapted to what they need. Yeah. Oh, you could give them better retinas, but they don't need it. So they wouldn't you know, necessarily benefit. The author doesn't have to agree that the jellyfish would benefit. Yeah. D, box jellyfish developed from jellyfish whose retinas received clear images. I don't care how they got here. So um, this does not need to be assumed. Uh, they could have developed from totally different animals. I, we, there's just, this is kind of like really outside the realm of this argument. Yeah, or the retinas could have been even further forward as far as we know. Yeah. Maybe the retinas are slowly moving into the right position Mm -hmm. So that the jellyfish can see the fine details. We don't, we don't know. The author doesn't have to agree with that. Yeah. E box jellyfish use vision as their main means of detecting prey. Okay. So I would imagine some people might get tempted by this because it kind of suggests a need or something like that. But we, we definitely don't need to make this assumption about vision Generally, maybe they use like touch or something like that as their mean means of detecting prey. That weird electric shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ocean creatures do. Yeah. yeah. So even if they use some other means of detecting prey, that doesn't mean the vision isn't necessary or the vision that they have isn't necessary or is necessary. So this just doesn't matter. And yeah, so I mean, now I'm feeling really good about even... B. Yeah. Right. And I could even see E as a weakener, right? It's like, well, wait a second. If they use vision as their main means of detecting prey, then why do they only have this blurry image? I thought you said that their eyes were adapted for what they need. If vision is their main means of hunting, then they, why do they have shitty vision? I don't know. It's like the author just does not have to agree with that yeah. statement. Yeah. Coming back to B, yeah, yep. box jellyfish have a need to detect prominent features of objects but not fine details. Why does the author have to agree with that? Well, the author's conclusion is about what the eyes have been adapted to, specifically their needs. And so we have to assume that how their eyes have adapted is reflective of their needs. And this is saying, yes, that's what they need. Sweet. Author has to agree with that. And that is the answer for a necessary assumption question. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what's this uh, news item that you brought? This came from Bloomberg? Yeah. Um, Maria shared it with me, actually. <laughs> and I was like, okay. hey, uh, this just reinforces. Your lovely bride-to-be, that is, yes. Maria. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you, man. Once again. So the headline is lawyers get $164,000 bonuses. So that's not their pay. That's their bonus. $164,000 in bonuses to keep working. Yes. 100 hours a week. Ugh. <laughs> 
Quick math. I think that's what oh, seventeen man. hours a day or something. What is this? Oh, fourteen. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna calculate an hourly rate. It, <laughs> I mean, dude, if if you're a hundred hours a week, so four thousand hours. Uh, sorry, five thousand hours a year. Mm-hmm. So one sixty four divided by five. Oh man. So that's a that's a bonus of $32 $33 an hour. Mm. All you got to do to get that bonus is work 100 hours a week for the entire year. <laughs> wow. It's a lot of money. Okay, yeah. So if you're working 6 days a week, then that's 17 hours a day. If you're working 7 days a week, that's 14 hours a day. That's a lot of fucking time. Anyway, uh, it says, yeah, you want to read I'll, it? I guess I'll read a little yeah, bit. Yeah, read it. In September 2020, Cooley LLP, a Palo Alto based law firm, announced it was handing out 2500 to 7500 in one time payments to associates. The bonuses came as the firm, along with many others in the legal industry, realized it was both flush with cash and facing worker burnout during the pandemic. While most attorneys at larger firms expect to receive one annual bonus, Cooley's move was quickly matched by others, including Davis Polk and Wardwell LLP and Wilkie Farr Gallagher LLP. One payout was becoming two and now potentially three in a single year. Bonuses soared to as much as $140,000 last year for a senior associate, and they've kept coming in 2021 with a potential windfall of $164,000 on top of salary by year end. This is for senior associates, not junior associates. Alongside the added cash, firms promised more time off. Yeah, right. Bullshit. <laughs> and extended work from home arrangements. Oh, yeah, you can do that. Just as long as you're working your 17 hours a day. We don't care where you're working. Yeah. All part of an effort to retain and attract talent for what are often <laughs> grueling 100-hour work weeks. I, this this can't be the most effective way to leverage your talent, can it? Like, isn't it pretty documented that if you work a certain number of hours, like those last few hours are diminishing marginal returns, you're less effective, and then it just like hammers everything else. Like, wouldn't it be better to have more? If they're flush with cash, hire more attorneys and have them work 60 hours? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyways. I mean, my understanding of the way law firms are run yeah, is that it's a pyramid. The only people who really, really get paid are the people who own the damn firm, you know, the yeah. partners of the firm. Sure. And for these, you know, if you're a senior associate, you're you may or may not be on the partnership track. Like you might, you might not ever make the million plus per year yeah. that the bosses are for sure making. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at a big law firm like Cooley, they're those people, the, the people at the top are making 10 million a year or a hundred million a year yeah. because they own equity in the firm. Yeah. So, you know, it's like the truth is all these people are actually being underpaid. You know, a senior associate, what they probably they're making, you know, $250,000 a year. Yeah. $300,000 a year, maybe salary. Yeah. Plus, you know, six figure bonuses. So, you know, they might be making four or $500,000 a year. Yeah. But this is the person who's doing like all the work in the firm. Yeah. And they're not actually getting the major rewards of the firm. No. It sounds great, but it's not. They're like 
really way it's wage slavery basically you know i mean these people are just like hoping to make it to partner you know this reminds me of a story that i think i've shared with you before on the show but it's probably been a very long time a friend of mine was did this or i think it was a friend <laughs> a friend of mine whose friend was at the same firm or something but anyways um the friend had his wife had just had a baby and they were he was feeling super overworked at his law firm <laughs> and he went to his partner and he said hey i just need a little extra time off you know we're not talking a lot here we're not talking about full time off we're talking fewer hours right during the day these people are still working and just to get through this time and the partner said to him and i remember this number he said would thirty thousand dollars solve the problem in other words i don't want you to take time off i'm going to give you thirty thousand more dollars and you keep working it's how it goes at these places. I'm like just basically speechless. I mean, it's I've been saying for a long time how to me a 40 hour work week seems completely uncivilized. Like that's already too much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 40 hours a week is a lot. 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year. Are you kidding? Yeah. That's just, that's gross. That's like all, mostly all of your waking hours. It's no wonder that the United States has a GDP that outperforms bigger countries everywhere. It's like we have a population that works. But it's, it's just, it's disgusting. I mean, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it just, it like makes me ill to even think about doing that. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, like I've been very fortunate in my life but I, I like i just can't imagine wanting to go get a job job to work that much for someone else yeah um if you if you're working 40 hours a week or 50 or 60 hours a week on your own thing that's that's a different deal like if you start your own law firm and work 80 hours a week but you're the owner yeah you know i, I like I, ha I have great respect for working people and I just cannot imagine selling my entire life to anybody for, for a salary. Mm -hmm. it, I know it sounds good, I guess, to young people. They look at these dollars and they're like, oh my God, I'd be so rich. But it's like, yeah, you, you'd have a lot of cash and you'd have absolutely no time to do anything with it. <laughs> this sounds really really terrible <laughs> all right so if you want to read more on that uh we'll provide a link in the show notes that was an article by megan tribe in bloomberg news yep good luck <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, it and junior associates don't even get like a taste of this right yeah. i mean junior associates at the big firms you're gonna make yeah i mean you could make 170 180 now starting salary maybe 200,000 at some firms yeah uh, if you're like a real baller coming out of a top law school or finished first in your class at a regional law school. And yeah, you could make, you could make close to a couple hundred thousand dollars a year starting salary, but your bonus isn't going to be anywhere close to this. And you're still going to work that hundred hours a week. And like half of you are going to burn out within two years. Yeah. 
it's a fucked up <laughs> system that I would not try to play in. Uh, that's just scares me. Anyway. Yeah. All right. I uh, want to dive into the mailbag for sure. Okay. I'll take this first cool. one. Um, yeah. Hey, international mailbag today, Ben international. Oh, got it. Hey, Ben yeah. and Nathan, this is from Maggie. Hope y'all are safe and healthy. Thanks. I am an avid show listener and current demon subscriber based in Lagos, Nigeria. Okay. Fucking Africa, dude. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure if you had any folks write in recently about taking the LSAT internationally. So here's some helpful info from a recent mistake I made. Okay. We love learning from mistakes. Yep. I'm signed up for the June LSAT and plan to take the August test as well. However, when I went to sign up for the August exam, it wasn't available. I changed my location to the United States, and suddenly it became available again. When I emailed LSAC asking why an online virtually proctored exam isn't being administered internationally on all test dates, this was the response. The August 2021 LSAT is not scheduled to be administered internationally. <laughs> notice her question was clearly why why yeah and the answer is it doesn't happen <laughs> also notice their response is totally passively voiced here yeah where it's like it's not even like we scheduled it not to be administered internationally it's just like it is it is not it is not <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what this That's is. Just how it is. No, this is an abstract sense of how a good exam administration would be designed. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it comes from the ether. Okay. Can oh, I see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, so candidates located outside of the U.S., its territories, or Canada for the August 2021 LSAT will not be permitted to test. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, if it's not administered, although the test will be administered online due to security reasons, and that's italicized, by the way, you may only register and sit for the LSAT scheduled for the particular region you will be located in at the time of testing. All they're doing is telling her everything she already knew. I mean, she tried to register in Africa and it was like, no. And she asked why. And they said, oh, yeah, because it's uh, not, not scheduled to be uh, offered internationally. Hey, do you think they had, like, some problem with an international test taker and then assumed that the problem was international? <laughs> Who knows? It's hard to speculate. I mean, when I say an international I mean, test taker, I don't necessarily mean that the international test taker was cheating. I mean, maybe something was compromised. I don't know. That's so strange. I just... Huh. I, the thought that came through my head is, could Maggie use a VPN to take it in the U.S. Oh. anyway? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about how any of that shit works. It's it's to, Maybe one of our listeners could email help at thinkinglsat.com and tell us about their experiences trying to take the LSAT with a VPN. Um, does seem like you, sh you might be able to change your location. I also could see them being like, oh, VPN? Sorry, can't take the LSAT using a VPN. Yeah, if they know. I don't know how that works, though. Who knows? Yeah. Okay, she continues. I have two hypotheses oh, yeah. about why this 
plan exists. Okay. Um, <clears throat> one mm-hmm. would be just kind of in the background, um, people, and I'm not accusing LSAC specifically of this, yeah. <laughs> but as a background presumption, people are very racist and xenophobic just broadly in the world. There are lots of people who are very racist and very xenophobic. That's a fact. And I'm not saying that LSAC (laughs) is racist or xenophobic, but what you said, Ben was, I wonder if they had some problem with an international something or other. I could easily see them just being like, Oh yeah, it's hard to administer tests internationally. So we're going to do that fewer. We're we're not going to have as many of those as just kind of like a, it's problematic. It's complicated. I don't want to think about it. Most of our students are American anyway. We'll offer it a couple times a year internationally. You know, you know what I mean? Just like that sort of reflexive default thing. Sure. Um, sure. That's one hypothesis. The other hypothesis is time zones. Although isn't Proctor U based in like India or something? <laughs> Probably. Yes. But <laughs> actually I think it might be like more of South America kind of thing Okay. or Central America. But actually that's totally speculation based on what people have said, like their experiences with their proctors. But but I would hypothesize that maybe they pay Proctor U for a window of hours. And if you're going to offer the test in Africa, that might be like exactly opposite. Like, I don't know what the time difference is between sure. here and Lagos, but I imagine it's a lot. And if it's like 12 hours, you know, then it could be the kind of thing where, well, we would have to pay the proctors for a 24 hour cycle. Or we could offer it. I mean, and that's that, by the way, that would have been an option, right? They could have just said, yeah, we will offer it in Lagos. I mean, you have to take it at 2 a.m. Well, it's interesting. Lagos is only five hours ahead of us. So it's it's, uh, five hours ahead of you. Yes. Sorry. So it's eight hours ahead of you. Um, I mean, five hours ahead of LSAC. Yeah. And if they're only offering the test in North America, you know, there's only four time zones in North America. So you're talking about five on top of that hmm. to get to Lagos. And um, so, I mean, that my hypothesis would be they can't have 24-hour proctoring. Huh. Anyway, they gave no... <laughs> they're, they're inviting us to speculate because they're giving no actual reason other than the vague due to security reasons. Mm-hmm. Which makes no sense if it's an online remotely proctored... What kind of security are you really? Yeah. Anyway. Hmm. I definitely, so Maggie continues, I definitely made an erroneous assumption that the LSAT would be available internationally for all the same test dates, but it seems odd that an online exam can't be administered globally when it isn't a security problem for the dates they chose. Yeah, that's a little strange. Right. Like, are they are they not? We can offer it internationally. We can give it to you in Lagos on for the June exam. Yeah, I mean, maybe they have. Okay, to be fair to LSAC, maybe they have committed to June and they they don't want to retract that, but they now know about some security reasons which we don't understand. And not only is the August LSAT not being administered internationally, but n- neither is any other test going forward internationally. If that's the case, this would kind of make sense. If they're going to turn around and offer, what is the next one? Um, that's October? not going to be the case. 
Yeah, you can check right now if you're on the site and want to see. Yeah. I was playing with those drop downs. I saw what Maggie reported, yeah. which was it disappeared when she tried to re- register for August. Oh, interesting. You're being very generous there to the LSAC, obviously, right? You're trying to <laughs> you're trying, trying to, to make it make sense. Yeah. But there's no fucking way. They're not going to stop offering the LSAT internationally. Yeah. They they're it's a lie. There's no way. It's lazy. It's a lie. It's but the it's for it's because of budget concerns. There's no way that this is an actual security special security risk for the August exam. No fucking way. Come on. They put it in italics, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> on the law school admission test, Ben, uh, the instructions say that you are not to make uh, implausible or superfluous assumptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems to me implausible and superfluous to uh, assume that there's some risk coming out of Nigeria in August that does not exist in June. And uh, were you able to confirm that you can in fact register for October? Uh, uh, No, actually I wasn't. Where do I even go? (laughs) This website's changed. Yeah. Let's see. Test dates. Okay. Register today. I'm just going to give it a quick shot. Oh, okay. I choose to just use my intuitive brain rather than actually <laughs> testing any of my hypotheses. <laughs> ah, yeah. Wait. Okay. So, yep. I see. I selected Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Um, yeah. It says the June LSAT flex is June 17th, of course. And then the there's nothing. Yeah. There's no mention of, of August. And then the October 2021 test is to be decided, but it's going to be the week of October 9th according to okay. the international deadline. So, Oh, is that uh, uh, international yeah, registration? Yeah, I'm looking deadline. at international registration. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at the deadlines for Europe, right. Africa, and the Middle East. All right. I'm going to go ahead and take that as vindication for my hypothesis. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. They, Why? Why that one you test? Know, this, yeah. Well, <laughs> she got the email back from some customer service person. The customer service person is going off the script... I mean, staying on the script, you know, going by the script. Sure. They're not, they're not, they're not giving you any real reasons for anything. They're just saying, oh, it's not offered internationally. Yeah. You know, throw in the due to security reasons. That's a lie. So, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, so I'm comparing, right, the dates. So uh, if you look at the international test, at least for Europe and Africa, we have one, two, three, four, five until June 2020. I'm sorry, June 2022. And then for the U.S., we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We have nine. So they're taking out four tests that would be administered internationally and just dropping them, quote, due to security yeah. concerns. Uh, well, I, that, yeah, you're right. I mean, your, your that, argument is making more and more sense. I, I'm not saying you're right, but I, I don't understand why we can even do these five then if there are security concerns. It makes no sense whatsoever, dude. Like really? Oh, it's safe five times a year, but four times a year. Those are the danger days (laughs) where the Nigerian scammers are trying to (laughs) cheat the LSAT. I mean, come on. No, that makes no sense. It's probably, I mean, it's, you know, (laughs) if they would just say, we only offer it four times a year because budget reasons. How can you argue with that? You're just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's their business. 
they, they're the monopolists, not us. They don't, they don't have to explain themselves. That that's, that's why they are the way they are because they are a monopoly. And even then, right? Like if it shit. is just like this time zone thing, just only offer it at a certain time. Say, sorry, at these times of the year, for these years, uh, it's a limited schedule. Well, yeah. And it's probably an artifact of when they used to offer it in person internationally. Yeah. I can certainly see how that's a pain in the ass for them to administer. Sure. And, you know, if they were like, oh, yeah, well, we do offer, you know, it used to be, Ben, not that long ago, the LSAT was only offered four times a year in person. Yep. And I think internationally, it was only offered like, what, two of those? Maybe, Maybe one yeah. of those was yeah, international. Yeah, rare. And so they have now opened it up to a lot more um, testing dates. Of course, the GRE and the GMAT are still just offered continuously throughout the year, <laughs> anytime you want, and you get your score back instantly instead of waiting for three weeks. But in their minds, right, side. they've gone from <laughs> one or two times internationally to four times internationally. What's the complaint? Unbelievable generosity yeah. in their own eyes. I'm sure they're just like, what What do these people possibly want? We've, <laughs> We've more than <laughs> doubled the amount of tests. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Maggie. Um, thanks for writing in and good luck. Ben, we have a demon student and a podcast listener in Africa. That's pretty cool. That is. All right. This next email says, hey, guys, are you as adamant on not paying for law school in the Canadian context? With the major exceptions being the University of Toronto and Osgood Hall at 36,000 and 26,000 respectively. Law school tuition in Canada is considerably less expensive than in the US and ranges from 12 to $21,000 per year. I mean, I would point out here that even University of Toronto at $36,000 per year, that's like half the cost of uh, you know, Columbia or NYU or USC or many many <laughs> big time law schools in the in the u.s so it's still cheap it's still cheap and that's the most expensive one in canada yeah although i had the flip side of this i'm sorry to play the other side here no, but 12 to twenty one thousand dollars per year still sounds like a lot of money to me so compared to free no, no it's only cheap <laughs> compared to the outrageous overpricing yeah of u.s law schools yeah because that is 12 to 21 grand per year yeah there's still just no way you're getting that much in services. You're sat in a giant lecture hall with a hundred other people. There's no, you know, it's funny because sometimes people say that the demon is priced too highly, right? Um, yeah. Well, okay. If you were with us for a year at our highest plan, <laughs> you'd still, uh, be under $3,500 or so, or close to that. Oh, by the way, you get way more from the demon. Come on. We have live classes seven days a week. <laughs> we have the ask button 24 hours a day. We have, we pay way more attention to you than any law school pays attention to you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I promise. Um, Okay, the price tag tends to vary by province, and Ontario schools usually cost more. This also means scholarships aren't granted as widely, and full rides are few and far between, even in schools that are lower tier. I'll be attending Queen's Law in the fall, and have a small, 
bursary going toward my tuition costs, which are around $18,500 a year. I've been angling to study law for a while and am really excited about this particular school, but I'm wondering if you think I'm a total sucker for paying. I love the podcast. You guys are great. Praise the demon, George. Thanks, George. Um, ben is looking up the definition of the word bursary. Do you have a report on that? Yeah, it's scholarship. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, that must be the Canada word for burst for uh, scholarship. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think the reason why we yell about don't pay for law school so much is because the tuitions are so outrageous. And half of the reason why the tuitions are so outrageous here in the United States is that the scholarship situation is completely out of control. So <laughs> they charge everybody a different price. I looked up a law school the other day, Ben, and it was like 88% of the class gets some sort of tuition scholarship. It's mm. crazy. Well, <laughs> that sounds great to very naive people, right? You look at that and you go, oh, that's nice of them. Cool. Yeah, I want to go to that school where everybody gets a scholarship. Yeah, you and it's like you can only well, get so many discounts if this pricing system is messed up. I mean, I think we're I think I'm thinking the same thing that you're thinking, and that is that the Canadian system isn't broken, and so right. the pricing is actually more in line with yeah. what it should be. Totally. I mean, I still think it's high, but it's closer to what it should be, and therefore, there's not as many windfalls for the schools to take advantage of and therefore right. they have to charge everybody much more equitably right. <laughs> essentially no what george is saying is that there aren't as many full rides yeah so if the, if full rides are super rare then that means that they're actually charging people something closer to what the real cost of running these schools might be i mean they're still making crazy amounts of profits and you know somebody's getting rich off of this whole deal but in the United States, if you end up paying full price for law school, you're getting screwed in the vast majority of cases because you're paying full price while somebody sitting right next to you in class is getting, they're, they're paying zero and maybe even getting a stipend. Maybe one way to think about this is you're actually not paying full <laughs> price. You're paying double price. Right. Compared yeah. to these Canadian no, you, prices. So you're you're paying twice as much and more than double, more than double, which is why they have the extra <laughs> funds to let people go for free. Yeah. In, in Canada, <laughs> in Canada, I was going to say in Canada, they don't have those extra funds because. Right. Maybe they're charging 10 percent or 20 percent more than what they need to or should, but not double or. Yeah. Like you said, more. No, I mean, George, it, it seems like in George's situation, he, he doesn't have the option of going for free. Yeah. His school might not even offer any full rides at all. Yeah. If your school doesn't offer any full rides, then it's you're a lot safer paying full price. Mm -hmm. By the way, that is the case at Harvard, Stanford, Yale, right? They don't give merit-based, scare quotes, merit-based. They don't give those merit-based tuition scholarships. That actually means that if you pay full price there, you might kind of be getting a better value for your money. But if you're at, uh, you know, I mean, what were we thinking about the other day? Oh, I can't remember the school. The one that I looked up where it was 88% of the people at on campus get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. If you pay full price at that school, 
you're one of the 12% of the class <laughs> that is paying full price. Yeah. You're one of, there's only 12% of the people were dumb enough to actually pay sticker for that school. And in that, I mean, so do not pay for law school in that case, but it's, it just seems like George's situation is, yeah. you know, 18.5 is still a crazy amount of money, but you, the, the system isn't broken. So that's why everybody's got to pony up. <laughs> well, and in the, in the U S it's 300 fucking percent of that. That's crazy. Right. I mean, yeah, in the 60 US, grand, 60,000. Yeah. A lot of in a lot of cases. Well, here's an analogy. Uh, it's kind of like all car makers looked at the high end vehicles, and let's put those. At, I mean, there's obviously super high end vehicles, but let's say sixty grand, right? Sixty okay. grand for a high end vehicle, and they all said, "Oh, well, that BMW, that Tesla sells for sixty grand, so I'm gonna sell my, you know, <laughs> Hyundai." <laughs> for 60 grand and then start offering discounts and idiots who show up at the dealership and say, well, um, yeah, I'd love that. I'd like it right now and I'll pay full price. Well, okay, that's great. We'll use the extra cash to give discounts and coupons to everybody else who shows up. You would never tolerate that. You'd be so angry, but that's exactly what's happening at law school because of the whole mystique of getting accepted and yeah, all that garbage. Well, there is that going on for sure yeah. where, there's there's like differentiation in quality but not differentiation in price mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> all of these law schools are top something right <laughs> like there's there there's like the actual top law schools mm -hmm. which are harvard stanford yale and then some others mm -hmm. then there's like the top 14 then there's the top 20 then there's the top 25 then there's the top 50 yeah. then there's the top 100 <laughs> and every law school is like oh well we're ranked 17th in finance campfire <laughs> abatement law. <laughs> I don't know. Which was literally <laughs> like, just invented right now. <laughs> yeah. I just pulled that out of my own ass. I don't know how we're 17th since I'm the one who just invented it, but we're 17th in the country. So here you should pay us $62,000 a year mm -hmm. to come to our law school. So that is a thing. But it's also a thing, Ben, that even at the actual good law schools, right? So let's say the top 14, just for lack of a better, that's what people do. Sure. Like, think about a school like Michigan. Yeah. It's a fantastic law school. Don't get me wrong. But there are some people there who are paying zero and not only paying zero, they're getting a $10,000 a year check from the school mm. to go to that school. Mm -hmm. And other people are paying full price of $50,000 a year or whatever it is to go to Michigan. That's fucked up. That's a broken system. That's not cool. That's like, that's not good. No. I mean, yeah, basically some people are being paid to drive off the lot with a Hyundai because they are an influencer right. or something. <laughs> right. What if BMW was like, Oh yeah, no, our cars are, uh, they're not actually 60,000 cause that would be like a maybe fair yeah. price for a high end vehicle. <laughs> sure. But instead if, if they're like, Oh no, these are 120 grand. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, you pay 120 grand. Oh, you get it for free though. Yeah. Because you're a yeah Kardashian or whatever. <laughs> and you're going to post about it on Instagram. It's like, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's not even like not a Kardashian, again. right? It's like just somebody else who's just like a little, has like a thousand followers on their Instagram instead of 800. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, and then like to come back to reality, it's somebody who got five or six points higher than you did on your LSAT. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had the choice not to pay for law school. You should have walked away from that school and gone to some lower ranked school and been the one getting the full tuition and the stipend instead of going to a school paying full price and paying for someone else's tuition and their stipend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this advice, George, really doesn't probably apply to you because you live in a superior country. Yes. Although at the same time, I think it's always wise. And I think you would agree hundred percent that be careful what you pay, no matter where you are. Yeah. Um, are there cheaper options in Canada and solely cheaper because they're not the university of Toronto? And does that matter? Like, or are they still somewhat buying into that myth that like, Oh, this is really that much better than this Providence, you know, school well george is going to a local school um george mentioned toronto and osgood as these like those are the high priced canadia schools for sure george is actually going to queens Queens law paying 18.5 which is yeah roughly half of the university of toronto so it sounds like george has done some value shopping and picked out a school where you know like this is a reasonable school where reasonable people go and that still is a lot of money George, and you should think about the return on investment. I mean, is your like, are your lifetime earnings going to be enough to pay for not only this tuition, but also the interest on the tuition, your living expenses for three years, the opportunity cost of not working for those three years? Yep. You really do have to do some math to figure out what this the whole value proposition. But if being an attorney is going to make you back more money than you're going to invest then you know maybe you can pay for law school in canada all right thanks for writing in george no that's all um it's a good question we do get that from our canadian folks every now and then yeah uh yeah so how about this next one from k Dear Ben and Nathan, first of all, I've got to say I love the show and the demon. For background, I'm starting my third year undergrad next year, but wanted to get the LSAT done early in case I need to retake it and don't want to deal with studying for the test plus school. Okay. You guys have helped me reach what might be a 23-point increase in the span of a month and a half. Wow. My diagnostic was a 157, which is a very strong diagnostic, by the way. And today I write a perfect test. I wrote a perfect test and scored 180. Okay. Um, This honestly shocked me since I gave myself the whole summer to study and have only written four other tests since the diagnostic. One per week of studying. A 169, a 173, a 172, and a 175. I've been taking my practice tests on con so far, and when I run out of those free tests or when I start getting repeat questions, I'll use the demon ones since I only subscribed a few weeks ago. What? I don't... Um, I mean, whether you use them in con or use them on the demon, they're not going to... You can take them as many times as you want in the demon. 
you should be doing them all in the daemon because then the drilling feature of the daemon will learn your strengths and weaknesses. I mean, not that it matters for K because K's already, you know, nailing 175s and 180s on her practice tests. So, hmm. whatever. <laughs> but nope, I, I, I'm always scratching my head why people do tests anywhere else. If you're a demon subscriber, you should be doing all of your shit inside the demon all the time. Yeah, even if you're a basic subscriber, all the tests you have access to in the demon are the same ones that you have access to in Law Hub. So you're not missing out on anything anywhere. All six of these tests have had two LR sections, and I thought the fourth section usually varied between LR, A, reading comp, sorry, <laughs> logical reasoning, games, and reading comp. Um, so Ben, that makes it sound like Khan never adapted to the flex. They just ignored the flex. I actually would not be surprised by that at all. I mean, we just made that adaptation like maybe a month ago when we realized what was happening and but we were waiting for the June LSAT because it's wow it's really interesting oh well they didn't even make the adaptation to the flex I see what you're saying yeah that's what I'm saying yeah we made that no we added back the fourth section. yeah yeah we went back we we adapted to the flex they... and then we went back to the fourth section being experimental which was new but um wow they've never even like got to the flex is what you're saying I wouldn't be surprised about that at all because they probably don't know how to score it because they couldn't like, so they're just stuck. They couldn't do the math of seven. Yeah, they couldn't do the math. Yeah. No, you know, it's like no one's there is actually an LSAT expert. They're just kind of like, oh, well, okay. No, and I mean, I, don't, I really don't want to shit on Khan because it feels like they probably had their heart in the right place when they did it. Mm -hmm. But it's like LSAC partnered with Khan to do this free product. They made some big splash. They patted themselves on the back and then they just ignored it. Like they created this thing and then they were just like, oh, yeah, that's that. Oh, yeah, we have free. Yeah, free yeah you LSAT need free prep. prep. Go yeah, to, uh -huh. yeah, Khan. We did that. We did that. Check the box and like never bothered to, you know, make the explanations actually helpful or adapt the program to their own changing test. Yeah, well, anyway. one thing is if K is good at logical reasoning, um, which K is clearly good at all the sections, but if if yeah. logical reasoning is K's strength, then it'd be you know K's score could drop a little bit uh, taking the flex. Yep. Okay. Anyways, on top of this, this five point jump just feels like I got lucky. <laughs> hey, you can't get that lucky. I know you guys say about feeling like you lucked out on an easy test, but here's my question. Are these con prep tests, which I'm taking timed and everything, representative of how I'd actually do on the real test? Uh, they are real tests, so they're not con tests. They're actual tests, which is why you can just come over to the demon and take them with us. Um, they are literally the exact same, except if you take them in the demon, you can take them <laughs> as a three-section test, which will now be weighted correctly and be more accurate. So actually that's a problem. Sorry. So they should, people should not take them in con because they're taking the old format. No. Well, also if you do them in the demon, then you could immediately watch our videos and read our written explanations and use our ask button for any of the questions that you struggled with at all. Yep. Which is the fucking point anyway, is to learn as much as you can from doing these practice tests. So, 
yeah okay you're a demon subscriber you should be doing all this stuff in the demon um and <laughs> the thing that made me laugh in Kay's email was just it's very common among our top performing students to always have this like oh but i probably just got lucky though isn't it ironic ben like the people who understand it the most are the ones who always think, oh, no, I just probably got lucky. The flip side of that is that we have very low performing students who constantly talk about how, oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, I got it. No, I understood that. No, no, no I, 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 I understand. Yeah, I understand the question. My, my no, problem I get is that. why, <laughs> but B should not be correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no my problem is I, i'm like trying to read the argument to them in a way that they will understand what it actually says and they're like no i i get all that i just want to talk about the difference between d and e because both those answers are also are also correct and i you know what i don't understand is why the why the correct answer here is b because d and e are definitely better <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> all right you get it all right well if you get it just I mean, you don't, but you claim, I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny. These, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Any advice for Kay? <laughs> well, it's a good mind. Sorry. Just to wrap that up. It's a good mindset to have though. Right. Because like, um, it just means you're constantly looking for ways to improve instead of assuming yeah. that you're the shit, which is no, why it's like the top student the shit. in every class is the one who's willing to raise their hand and go, Hey, I don't understand xyz right yeah. their their comments and questions start with i don't understand this mm-hmm. and the lower performing students who are not improving as quickly are the ones who want to start every question with a comment of oh i i understand this mm-hmm. you know it's just a like a it's a mindset right mm-hmm. it's a growth mindset i guess that yeah. these top performers all tend to have yeah. where they're like willing to willing to acknowledge that there are things that they don't get and they want to learn those things yeah um k k understands everything yeah i mean that's the truth like you're already scoring 175s and 180s k you you got this you got it you win you win the LSAT, but you should be doing all your prep inside the demon and hopefully just, you know, you're going to kill the August test and be done with it. Yeah. And since you are taking the August test, you will want to do the four section test in the demon. But keep in mind, the four section test in the demon now is different from the four section test that they're offering in con, because what we'll give you is we'll give you three sections from one test and then we'll give you a fourth random experimental section from another test. And we're still going to base the score that you get, your 120 to 180 score, on the three sections, not on all four, as it sounds like they're doing in con. So, anyways. <laughs> Con's just still, they're like in pre-COVID times. Yeah. They're just like, oh, yeah, no, the test is four sections. There's two sections of logical reasoning. Uh, that hasn't been the case since a year ago yeah I'm, i was shocked to see that apparently that's what they're still doing in con yeah i'm looking it up i'm really curious anyways k yeah. finishes i wish there was a test offered in july if there were if this were if this is where my scores are at i'd prefer to get it out of the way that's understandable but august is not too far away 
Anyways, thanks for everything and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you, Kay. And good luck. You're going to do well. Um, yeah. I like that Kay is just doing one test per week. Yeah. I think that's plenty. Yep. I don't know that Kay even needs to do that many. Yeah. I think that Kay needs to do like, you know, a little bit every day between now and the August test and plan on retaking it in October and or November if you don't, uh, you know, hit the home run that you're very capable of hitting. But you get your 175 plus and you're done just the august test yeah that's a clear win all right uh yeah really quick i did go to Khan academy it looks like they're actually still doing five second tests in here so interesting <laughs> don't know what to make of that but <laughs> I, i'm proud of what we have on the demon i'm glad we have gone out of our way to make our free resources as good as we possibly can um yeah Okay. You got this one? Ben and Nathan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to start by saying that from my perspective, Demon 2.0 is a vast improvement on the original, and I appreciate what you two and the whole LSAT Demon team have done for me this far. Um, thank you, Josh. It's all on Ben and company, all the development for 2.0. I had nothing to do with it whatsoever. Uh, great job, Ben. I agree. From my perspective, Demon 2.0 is a vast improvement on the original. Thanks, man. And I'm sure it will continue to get better. Uh, I am reaching out to inquire about the rating system. Oh, good. Because I don't understand any of this shit. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm reaching out to, I always yell, my classes are like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. You can just ignore it. But Ben will explain what are all these metrics sure. uh, in the demon. Um, I am reaching out to inquire about the rating system that is incorporated into the demon 2.0. Uh, while this isn't a big concern by any means, I'm not. And I'm not one to get wrapped up in LSAT analytics like the other shitty LSAT companies out there, <sighs> according to Josh. I was just wondering if you could shed some light on it. Without getting too in-depth, how does it work exactly? <laughs> because I have noticed in a section like Logic Games, where I typically go minus zero to minus two, it's an 86 rating. And in LR where from what I have on record, it swings from minus three to minus nine, yet is a 78 and went up the last time I got minus seven. This is all very confusing to me, Ben. I This is where I always tell people, yeah, just ignore that. Let's talk about one LSAT question you don't understand. Is there a direct correlation, say 90, in all three ratings that predicts a certain score on a real test? And if you had to use the rating system alone as the only variable in deciding when someone is ready, what would your cutoff be? I'm assuming we would not ever do that. But I'll let you answer. Yeah. Congratulations on 300 Thinking LSAT episodes, and I appreciate all that you two have done for me. Very respectively, Josh. Thanks, Josh. That's nice. Ben can respond about the whole rating system thing, because I don't understand. Sure. So... Uh, in the old demon, we had two numbers. We had the accuracy for drilling, so the percentage of questions that people were getting right as they drilled, and then we showed the difficulty level, which is on a scale of one to five. And so, as as they did better in drilling, the demon would give them harder questions. And I mean, the old demon was so simplistic, but it was basically taking all the questions they ever did and just averaging the difficulty level, which meant you could never get to a difficulty level of five 
because at some point, right, you've done easier questions. And, and so you could never actually get a perfect score. Now, the problem with the old system was that the percentage correct, the accuracy number, uh, people would write in about that all the time and ask, oh, you know, my accuracy is 80%. I don't understand why I'm not doing better. And it's like, look, the accuracy number is going to stay between 70 and 80% correct um, because that's what the demon is trying to do. It's trying to keep you at a level that's, or at a point in your studies that's just above your skill level, right? And so it was a useless number. Um, so we got rid of that. But the number that actually is useful in my mind is the difficulty level. Like, what is the average difficulty level of the questions you've done recently? right? Because as the demon gives you harder and harder questions, that difficulty level average will go up, especially if we just focus on the ones you've done recently, not the ones you've done throughout the entire history of your study. So what demon 2.0 does is basically reflect that difficulty level on a zero to 100 point scale. That's it. And there are some other things that are factored into that. For example, time. So if you take a long time, you don't get as many points. Um, and so someone who does a level four game in 30 minutes is not going to get as much credit as someone who does a level four game in 10 minutes, right? Um, the, the bottom line, though, here is that these numbers... I, <laughs> We don't know how they correlate to actual LSAT success precisely, but in my mind, it doesn't matter. In fact, if someone has over 90, they're doing extraordinarily well because that means that the demon is only giving them level five questions and they're doing well on them. Uh, for someone to get 100, they would have to get a lot of questions that are level five correct in a row and not miss a single one. Um, to me, it's not about getting to a certain number. It's just, as a lot of people have said, when they see that number go up and it goes up based on their performance, um, it motivates them to do more. So that's... So higher is better. Higher is better. That's all it is. That's that's really all it is. Yeah. And that's all I can tell you right now. And we do. I do want to make sure that the numbers make sense in the sense that like if... If you're performing 90 in logical reasoning and 70 in games, then I would also expect your section scores to somewhat reflect that, right? Like you're going to not be doing this. Which it does. Which it does. Here. And it does. In Josh's yeah. numbers, it, it basically does reflect it. I mean, you, you're getting, it says a 78 in LR where you're getting minus three to minus nine and an 86 in games where you're getting minus zero to minus two. So yeah, you're better at games. I... I would like, I know I've lodged this yeah, feature yeah. request in the future. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the past, yeah. but I would lodge it again. It, I wish we just hid this stuff. I mean, I understand that that's what the algorithm is doing, but it's so confusing to many students, including Josh. It's just like, you know, I mean, I got a text from a tutoring student yeah. the other day saying like, hey, how do I manually increase the difficulty rating? And I was like, what? No, drill. God damn it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. And I, I, so I feel like showing them, see, you have an analytic mind, Ben, who you can read this stuff and kind of understand what it means. And then you can take it for what it is. Mm -hmm. 
without trying to manufacture, you know, like extrapolate it into some bigger thing. And I just, we have so many students who don't think that way and they end up by default. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's something wrong with Josh's brain. It's like human nature, but Josh like immediately wants to start to extrapolate the rating system into a 120 to 180 LSAT score. And it's like, that is not what this is meant (laughs) to do in the slightest. Don't do that. Stop thinking about it. And yeah, I just, I, I wish it was just hidden by default. Anyway, yeah. I, that's not to take anything you. away from what you've yeah, done yeah. with 2.0. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. And no, it's great. Uh, <laughs> the short answer for Josh is don't worry about it. Keep drilling. The demon's going to give you stuff that's at your appropriate level of challenge difficulty. Don't think about the numbers. Think about the actual games, passages, LR questions. Focus on one question at a time. Make sure you fully understand it before you move on to the next that's where improvement actually comes from. Um, the metrics are, yeah, the demon's doing work. Let the demon do its work. Mm-hmm. You do your work, mm-hmm. which is to understand the law school admission test. Yeah. One question at a time. Um, all right. Ready for this next email? Yeah. Should we wrap it up here and then? Oh, yeah. Let's do okay. that. Um, all righty. So... If you have a question for the show, email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions for the demon team, email them at help at lsatdemon.com. Uh, do you want to pitch your August class at all or your June one? I guess your August class is. I want to pitch two things. Okay, go for it. This is the end of the show, mm-hmm. right? So this is only for the super fans <laughs> that made it this far. Yeah. <laughs> that made it this far all the way through our whole rambling show. Two things. Okay. One, which a lot of people already know about, is my uh, study group that happens every Thursday on Zoom. It's totally free. All you need is a free LSAT Demon account, and you can start getting invited to the biggest class I teach every Thursday. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of like-minded people who are studying for, I guess by the time you hear this, it will be the August uh, LSAT study group. And uh, we'll kind of reboot the June study group that I just am finishing up uh, this week. And uh, it's been awesome. People have asked amazing questions. And we'll kind of restart that group with like, all right, we've got two months till the August test. What are we thinking? What are we going to do every week? Mm -hmm. Try to get everybody to buy in on the idea that they're going to study a little bit every day for the next couple months. Yeah. That's a really fun class. Uh, I love it. And it's every Thursday for free on Zoom. Um, go to lsatdemon.com and get a free account. Uh, the other thing that I would like to announce, this is maybe going to be the first that a lot of people have heard about this, okay. but we have a brand new LSAT podcast. It's called mm-hmm. LSAT Demon Daily, and you should be able to find it, I believe, now. Um, go into your podcast app and uh, search for LSAT Demon Daily and subscribe. It's going to be shorter episodes. It's going to be five days a week. It's going to be me, Ben, and uh, our whole LSAT Demon team and community. We're going to have a lot more different voices on it. Yeah, There'll be students. There'll be teachers. A little bit of me, a little bit of Ben, and it's going to be five days a week, LSAT Demon Daily. Anything you want to say about that? No. I'm excited to see how that goes. Hope people like it. 
Yeah, me too. Beautiful. That was episode two, or sorry, 302 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.